With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Really exciting stuff right here on the new Authors Nook channel on TalkShoe.com. I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, Authors Month is pumping. Got a lot of people that want to come on. And these authors are great. These authors are hot. I'm telling you, uh, everybody's out there buying their books. And, you know, it's just awesome, ladies and gentlemen. You know, moving forward, uh, we want as many authors as we can get onto this channel, onto this channel to talk about their books. It's about expression. It's about creativity. It's about um, imagination. It's about all those things wrapped up into one. And I'm telling you, everybody has their own unique value and their own unique book, and the book has its own unique value. You know, so when it comes down to it, the author is very unique. You have to be unique to be an author. I mean, to me, you have to be unique. You have to have, you know, that creativity to create, uh, you know, settings and, and plots and characters, you know. And today we've got two great authors for everybody. As uh, we keep going here, we keep plugging away here on Authors Month, uh, and uh, we got E Wade coming up right now. We're gonna uh, introduce her shortly, uh, and then we have Mindy Haber coming on after her, and she's actually from the Lyme disease community. She's gonna come on and talk about her Lyme disease book that she has out there. Uh, just to let everybody know, we have other shows this week. Uh, winding up the week here on the 19th, which is tomorrow, uh, we have our Hong Kong show. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. And, uh, yeah, we got uh, Marie Ang from uh, Hong Kong coming on uh, to chat about her books. Uh, it's 1 to 2 p.m. my time here in New York. And over there in Asia, it's going to be 1 to 2 a.m., in the morning, so I guess you don't mind staying up late. I think that's great. Uh, and uh, also, we have Rashonda Simone on the 19th, uh, 6 to 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, also, let's keep in mind to wind up the week there on Saturday. We have Late Night with Joey Giggles. Oh, yeah, right there on Brain Injury Network with our special guest host who we're not naming right now, okay, and the Vulcan co-host, Jimmy Simonson, uh, should be there. Uh, and we have uh, actually three great authors coming on. Uh, the 1030 author is uh, Jazz T. Ward. She's coming on. Uh, and then we got uh, Kathy Jackson at 11 o'clock. And at 1130, Brian Rathbone. Oh, yeah. I'm telling you, we've got some great authors for the rest of the week. And then we'll hit next week. And boy, is that going to be a busy week, ladies and gentlemen, because. Hello? Hello? 
Hello, everybody. I'm back. <laughs> Sorry about that. I got booted on Skype. Uh, so, you know, that, hey, you know, it, it's been great, you know, doing these shows. And uh, our first guest, our first guest is E. Wade. She was on our show on Blog Talk Radio back two years ago. And we're happy to have her back. Hello, E. Hi. Hello there. I'm really excited to have you back. Thanks for having me. Yeah, sorry about the technical difficulties here. I, I, you know, we normally don't have these problems, but I guess it's because of the weather. Who knows? But um, anyway, so I'm looking at your website. I have to say, E, really beautiful website. But before we get into the website, I'd like you to please let everybody know a little bit about yourself, please. Okay, well, I'm a writer, and I just like to write in pretty much any genre, um, whatever comes to mind. I just like to make stories out of them. They come in, um, whatever idea that passes my mind, I tend to write about. Mm-hmm. Inspired by life and things that's happening around. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, um, awesome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have three grown daughters and a grandson, and that's that's about it in life. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, now, I mean, like, you know, when it comes down to it, you know, there's a lot going on in the world, you know, and there's a lot, you know, that could, uh, you know, I guess, tempt your writing skills, per se, you know. We'll get into all these books, you know, right here uh, very shortly, but let's, uh, let's chat about the website, Into the Deep. A uh, beautiful website set up by yourself. Seventy-two thousand people have visited it. Uh, you got a lot of great things going on on here. You got a lot of great blogs. Uh, I'm looking at your blogs. Your and you talk about you know your book purchases and stuff like that. And then all the way at the bottom, you have like great videos. And all the way at the bottom, you scroll down. You got your old radio shows. You got my radio show up there from a long time ago. So why don't you tell us a little bit about the website? How long did it take to put it together, and uh, how long has it been up? So it's been up probably three, four years, and it's been changed constantly. I've learned how to do HTML from different sites telling me different things to put on, and I just wanted to be a little different than everyone else. And it has links to information for writers, you know, if you need to get in there and, and find out anything that's different, like um, Indies Unlimited and, you know, Writer Beware, and they're LinkedIn where you get their posts on there and you can just get information or just mm-hmm. from news about writing. Interesting. Cool, cool. Mm-hmm. Um and you know, I, I, like I said, I'm I'm taking a look, and uh, I you know I think it's awesome, awesomely put together. I mean, you got a lot of great videos on here. You got the entrance video with your face on there, and a, a very nice musical, you know, thing going on there with that video. I'm telling you, and then you got the, you know, my stories. <laughs> I and I'm sticking to them. I like that. You know, I like that. So. Well, you know, I, I agree with that, too. I mean, like, you know, when it comes down to it, you know, you're writing for you, and then you're writing for the, the reader also, you know, but you're sticking to your story, and I like that. I like that. I really do. So how long did it take that 
to put that video together and with that music. The music is great. Well, that video is a combination of all the trailers I have for my book, and I just cut them in some short. So it's every book I have, and you can just find out the basic of the book by looking at that trailer. And it just has their music and that kind of stuff on there. It didn't take that long. You just do it on a computer on, um, what you call it, Movie Maker on the computer. Oh, nice. Okay, cool, cool. And yeah, all the trailers for your books. I mean, you got plenty of books out there that we're going to talk about today. Uh, so uh, let's let's just get right into the books. I mean, uh, we talked enough about the website. I think it's time to get into the books. Uh, and you got a lot of books to talk about, so we're probably going to take the rest of the show here to talk about uh, your books. And we'll start with uh, the first book that I see there, and it's uh, When the Clouds Touch. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that one? When the Clouds Touch is my latest book, and it's about a girl, a Japanese girl who has albinism, and her parents are so strict and protective, and then there's a guy in there who loves her. So it's Paisley and Malachi, and it's like they've known each other before birth, and it just shows how um, when, it's, you, when it's your destiny to meet someone, you'll just meet them. And it just goes on to their love story, and it's, it's really cute. Um, romantic story, and it's got some pretty nice reviews on it, and it's it's just mm-hmm. a, a good little story. Okay, all right, and now uh, I want to talk a little bit about the cover of each book too. What made you come up with the with the cover for this one? When when the clouds touch, it looks like uh, it looks like clouds, and and there's uh, like a tree in the background. What made you come up with that cover for that book? On Instagram, there's a um, um, Japanese photographer, and she had a wagasa, you know, that's a Japanese umbrella. And it was so pretty when I first saw it, and you can see the leaves through it. And I was like, man, that is so pretty. And that's kind of what helped me write the story. Plus, I'm riding in the car one day, and I just saw some clouds, you know, two clouds touched each other, and it was almost like they it was almost like they touched, but they bounced away. Um, and so that's what made my mind write that story. But it, part of the story, there's a, a scene where the girl always walks around with her wagasaw to keep the sun off her skin. And the um, guy, Malachi, asked her, because he saw the clouds and the leaves through it, and if that's what she ever saw. And her idea was, no, she only used the umbrella to hide herself from everyone else because, you know, when we have albinism, people tend to just stare at you. And she just used it for a cover and he could see all the beauty. And that was his point in her story is to show her the beauty in life, even if you have some kind of affliction going on. Uh-huh. Interesting. Interesting. And and like I say, well, the imagery really comes, you know, when you first look at the cover. You know, and I, I see a lot of imagery there, you know, and, uh, you know, as you get into the book, you'll learn about the imagery as you go on into the book. So really interesting stuff. So it's, it looks like you got a little quote here from uh, USA Today on the on the front of that book, expect the heartstrings to be pulled. So you got rated by USA Today. I think that's great. Oh, yeah, a very good review from, from them. And with Tripp and Prince Charming, too. You know, they both made it pretty good with the uh, 
USA Today and being reviewed in there. Oh, that's awesome. That's great. All right. So we're going to move on to the next book. So that's your most recent book. Uh, so let's uh, go into this book now. Uh, not a sound, not a peep. Uh, in in uh, My Sister's World, book three. Let's talk about that one. Okay. Those are picture books for little kids. And Not a Sound, Not a Peep is about a, a little girl who has nightmares. And what the family does, because, you know, nightmares disrupt the entire family. So it's about what the family does to make her feel better and to get over her nightmares and the little gifts they give her to help with that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, did you ever go through nightmares as a child? What made you write this book? The sister series are about my daughters. And, oh, yeah, I had nightmares. I'm scared of the dark. I don't like um, I don't like statues because you never know if they really come alive. You know, TV don't help you learn. And um, yeah, so yeah, I had nightmares as a kid, and and you find some little comfort toy or some little comfort something to deal with. And that's, that's a good kind idea. of what. Yeah. 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 Oh, that's yeah. awesome. I think that's great. Um, so it's it's a picture book. There's no words, correct? Oh, yeah, there are words to um, all three of those books. And, okay. okay, cool. Mm-hmm. But there are a lot of pictures that basically depict, you know, what's going on in the book then, correct? So okay. the kids can look at the pictures? Mm-hmm. There's, you know, the illustrations. I, I did the illustrations, and it's just a children's book for, you know, little kids, I guess, babies to, to um, whatever age they want to read it themselves, yeah. Wow, so you did all the illustrations yourself, huh? That's, you did really well. Yeah, you're a yeah. pretty good artist as well. Thank you. Yeah, wow. So you wrote the book and you did the illustrations. I think that's great. So let's chat about the cover here. Um, and obviously it's a, a little girl sleeping in bed uh, or sitting up in bed, uh, I guess because of a nightmare, correct? Uh, okay, correct? not sound, not a peep. And the other book, the yellow one, it's um, Who Will Hug the Sun, and it's about, like, the little girl who liked to hug and everything, and she was wondering why no one hugs the sun. And so her mom was telling her the story about the day the sun went out and tried to get a hug. And so inside it tells you about how the sun sees the people hugging and, and different things hugging in the world and how she tried and how she tried grabbing clouds and, and squeezing the clouds and the clouds, you know, um, shit water, you know, and that's rain and how the, the sun would try to catch the planes or the birds. And, and then it goes into an eclipse in the end to show you what hugs the sun, you know, the moon. Essentially. Gotcha. gotcha. Interesting. All right. So we'll move on to the next book here. Uh, the next book uh, in in, uh, in on your uh, thing here is uh, the fishing trip: a trial by water, execution, and deliverance of retribution. Why don't we talk a little bit about this one? Okay, that one is about a guy who was um, molested as a child, and the entire town has this system where the legal system was just wretched 
where they can do whatever they want with the foster kids. And so what it was is as a child of 10 years old, he finally um, killed his abuser. And then when he got older, he went back and took care of people that lived in that town. And that came from, you know how you see all the pedophiles in the world and they seem to me like they get away with everything or they mm-hmm. get small, small um, prison terms. And so in this book, Durham takes care of everybody. And that's basically what that story is about. Wow. Yeah, so, you, so it really goes in depth, uh, you know, almost into, you know, almost like into the legal system a little bit. It goes into, you know, sexual abuse of children. Uh, it yeah. goes into a lot of, uh, you know, present-day issues in, in the world, you know? Yeah, that's yeah. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. Mm-hmm. It uses, you know, it uses um, a social worker who pretty much can seem like a child or a teenager to get these guys, and they go on like a fishing trip. And you know, it's their basically last trip. So. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. So, uh, is it? Um, what would you consider this book? What genre? It's a thriller. A thriller. Okay. Is this like one of the only thrillers that you wrote, or you wrote other thrillers as well? No, that's like the only thriller. Yeah. I get kind of confused between thrillers and suspense. I have another book, The Perfect Solution. It's pretty much a, um, a suspense kind of thing. It's because that one is about it take care of child care and rules in child care and, and negligence and how a woman decided she wanted this child, this woman's child, and she started watching him and stalking him and learned about his daycare. And then one day when she went in the daycare and they had a sub and she said, that's my child, and the teacher gave it to him. And that's, yeah. It just tells you things about how daycare is going to learn and things you should look out for. Yeah, I like like the way you write. I like the way you write because it's a lot of current events you know, a lot of current events in your writing. You know, it, it seems uh, they're, you know, you try to uh, incorporate, you know, even though they're characters, you try to incorporate what's going on in real life. So I, I think that's really interesting how you do that. Yeah, I'm trying to brave myself up to get me a tattoo and a, <laughs> and a tattoo is <laughs> life is inspiration. And I keep saying I'm going, but then I check it out. I <laughs> gotcha. All right, so let's let's move on here. Uh, we got a lot of books to go through. Um, when one door closes, it's a collection of short stories. Why don't you share a little bit about this one for us? So there's four short stories and a long one, and it's about relationships, different things in relationships that might break you, break them up, like a divorce or. Uh, misunderstanding from other people, and and that's what that story, that's what that book is about. Okay, and the, the cover is a door, so that's uh, kind of interesting. How you know when one door closes, and you have a picture of a door there, and, and and you know, I guess when you open the book, you'll understand, you know, why you have a the cover as a door, right? Yes, and. Between each story, there's a door, you know, because you, you're going into another story, so you'll know that you're into a different one. But when one door closes, it, out, it also tells in each story 
how you just can open another one and get, you know, a better life or a better understanding. Interesting. Interesting. So so with these short stories, you have characters in all of them too? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They're all about different group of people, yeah. Oh, cool, cool, very cool, and very interesting how how you write too. I didn't ask you about the fishing trip one. Uh, that cover seems pretty green to me. Uh, what made you pick the color green for that cover? I don't know. And I like the idea that it looks like it's so peaceful because that's what it looked like in that town. Because one of the little um, descriptions they had a a group of foster parents and they lived like on a street and they had the gorgeous house and just looked so pretty and so peaceful. But they were the worst bunch of people to be bothered with. Uh-huh. You know? Well, also, not always also green could be green to be envy too. Uh that and uh, you know, green green is like the color of, of uh you know, sickness or anger. Sometimes too, you know. Uh, so it's oh. kind of interesting how you put green there uh, on the on the cover. So uh, we'll move on now to the next book, and that's uh, "Beads on a String: uh, America's Racially Intertwined Bi- uh, Biographical History." And let's talk about this a little bit. Yes, that book is what made me go into um, really going to writing because I started off a bit while I was homeschooling my daughter, you know, doing a Black History Month, and we were searching around for different people for history that's not always used. And my daughter wanted to know where was um, the history book for, you know, white people, where's the history book for this person, and, and why weren't we all in one book? So that's what this book is. It has all races in that book, and you're not separated by your race or ethnicity. You're just separated by the um, time period, you know, like the 1600s, what happened with the activists and all that. So you have all and you're, uh, all the activists, all the um, government, teachers, and that's how they're separated, but not by, by race. So you don't know what everyone contributed to America to help it grow, and that's what the history book is about. Awesome, awesome. So you basically go into a lot of history in this book, and you see pictures of different Black Americans on your uh, on your cover there. Um, and um, um, what, what, what's what's the whole idea of the uh, the title "Beads on a String"? How'd you come up with that? Because I think of um, race as just being, you know, like if you if you have a necklace and every little person is treasured or every bead is treasured, if one of them is gone, you'll you'll miss it. So you can't just ignore one race and not have something to do with the other because everybody's just connected and somehow or other. There's just no pure races. That's, that's what I think. I got you. I, think I hear you. Yeah. yeah, because I do, yeah, I see, I see a lot of a mixture on the, uh, you know, mixture of people you know, on uh, on your cover there. You know, and looking at it, you know, a little closer, you know, you see, you know, various things going on there. It looks like you got Rosa Parks on there. Is that Rosa Parks? It looks like you got Rosa Parks on there and a few others. And then, uh, boy, you got a lot of uh, famous people on your cover there. So, yeah. I, 
and I also have I also have a cousin because my cousin and my dad were the first a few people to integrate the college from my hometown. Oh, so wow. they're in the. Oh, yeah. that's great. That that's awesome. Mm-hmm. That's good to that's good to depict that. You know, and that's that's really awesome. That's really great. Uh, and uh, you know, I I'm always into history. I'm a big history boss. You know. And that that would be like a book that I would get. I would like to read on that. So maybe I would buy that one. That's definitely a really interesting one for me. I definitely would go for that. Um, so a biographical and, um, history. Yeah, I mean, I, that's definitely something I would be into. Yep. <laughs> well, you learn a lot. I learned a lot. Some people I never knew did things that we just weren't taught. You know, what Indians have invented what Italians invented. It's just all ethnicity in there, you know. So, oh, wow, it's a pretty big book. It's like 488 pages. Wow. Yeah, that's a pretty big book. Uh, on the Kindle, it's probably a little uh, shorter, right? Mm, I'm not too sure. And everything has a link because the bolded words, like the person's name is in bold, it links to their research page. And um, there's a couple of a few videos inside the book you can see, like with the ebook, and you can go to where the video is. Or, or I just have a whole entire page on my one of my blogs, and it'll just go right there. Oh, and awesome! Awesome stuff. Yeah, this is definitely one I got to look into. Yeah, definitely. That looks really, really good. Uh, so we are going to move on to the next one, and that's uh, Tripping Prince Charming. Oh, wait, wait. We changed. When I was researching the history book, I ran into Sarah Collins Rudolph. You know she was the fifth little girl in the bombing of the Alabama church? Oh, no. She was. Oh, yeah, her sister um, was killed in there, and she was in that bathroom. And you can find her on Facebook and and right now she's finally getting to tell her story about what's happening. And I think, um, like today, she's probably devastated with the, you know, the shooting at the church because that should bring back a lot of memories for her. Wow, that's really interesting. Yeah, wow. Yeah, I mean, like, she, so she was in the bathroom at the time? Was that the story? And then... In there with her sisters and the other um, three little girls. She yeah. survived. Wow. Uh, that's got to be sad, though. That's a, you know, surviving and then, you know, you, you lose your mother. Uh, you, usually, you, you lose your family almost, you know, and it, yeah. that's, uh, that's sad. That's got to be sad. Oh, man. So uh, so she's in this book, too. So that's pretty interesting. That is even more of a reason to buy the book. So I, I can find out more about that story, really. I, I, I really would want to find out more about that. Um so let's talk about uh, the next book on uh, the list here, and that's uh, Tripping uh, Prince Charming, a Romantic Shorts. Yeah, it's a romantic. What it started off was as three separate books and ended up being, I tried to put them all together, and and it would have been one story after another, but the characters, and sometimes when you're writing, your characters try to run you, so they ended up, fixing it where the book is now written in acts and scenes. So it's like act one, there's all three, some part of their story and how it combines. And, and um, it's got a pretty nice review from um, USA Today, too. 
along mm-hmm. with other readers who have given it. Even a man, that's what tickled me so much. A man read mm-hmm. it and he enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Interesting, very interesting. Well, yeah, I, I get really interested in, in like, uh, when it comes down to, like, series. You know, I like, uh, you know, different series, and it's good that you try to put it all into one book. You said it was supposed to be a series. Uh, you know, and, uh, you know, I see on the cover here, it's royalty. You're depicting royalty, you know, by having the crown on the, on the cover there. Um, and also recommended by USA Today with a big stamp. So they must love your books over at USA Today. Wow. Well, I, I think so, yeah. I'm really tickled about it. They're, they're a totally different story than any of the other books I've written because it's not just one plain straight story. You have to know what's going on in each act and each scene. And it's a, it's a different kind of story, but it's, it's about three women who one of their father all his life he was trying all their life he's trying to teach them about fairy tales and and you can find somebody who loved. then there's a history about him why he was so interested in in having the girls have a romantic kind of fairy tale um life, but they fought against that, and then they find guys who just they give the guys a hard time so it's a pretty good book mhm interesting, very interesting. Uh, 285 page book right there, ladies and gentlemen. If you like to read, I'm telling you, 285. I, I've I've uh, um, I've read uh, you know about two. Uh, no, I would say about maybe 150 in a day. So I probably would finish that book in like. Uh, uh, about two or three days, I would finish this book. So yeah, I, I mean, like it depends on uh, you know how the reader reads and how quick the reader reads, you know, and, and per se. But uh, you know, two eighty five is uh, is a pretty good sized book, you know, and especially that you combine three stories in one, you know. So yeah, and it has a little history in there of life from my hometown when it was shut down from racial riots and. And everything combines, everything is, it fits in there. It's just a good story. And guess who just <laughs> popped into the chat room, ladies and gentlemen? Michelle Hughes, author Michelle Hughes is in the chat room. Everybody say hello. Hello, Michelle. Thank you for popping in. Yes, she does sponsor these great shows, uh, you know, and then more towards the end of our time with Authors Month, uh, she will be on talking about her book. So, Michelle Hughes, thank you very much for being here. Uh, And we move forward uh, with our next book here with E. Wade. And uh, our next book that we're going to talk about is uh, Who Will Hug the Sun? And this looks like another picture book. Yeah, um Remember, uh, it was about the sun trying to get hugs from its um, cloudy inhabitants, and, you know, it just watches the people on Earth and hide hugs. There's another picture book there, and it's called um, Between the Two of Them. It's about a middle child and how she feels between being the oldest sister or the youngest sister. Oh, I see that one. Yeah, I see that one too. Yeah, um, and that's actually 
very part of today's world. You know, a lot of kids, you know, feel left out, I guess, by their, you know, their parents. And, and I could actually see, you know, you know, that, that book really coming to reality, you know, that the, between the two of them. And it seems, you know, one is being favored over the other, you know, and that happens a lot in our society, unfortunately, in, in our families. And, you know, that leads to uh, resentment, a lot of resentment from the, the children, you know. So it's just a child's perception, and you just have to work around that and teach them something different they can see. Because one thing would be a little child may have something neither the oldest or the youngest can be, and it's the fact that she can be older when she's with her younger or she can be the youngest when she's with her oldest. So she's unique, and that's what we would have to teach a child, that you're unique. They can't do this. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. well, I love the twists that you have. I, I think, uh, you know, it definitely hits reality, you know, and it's from a child's perspective. So... You know, when a child is reading these books, you know, hoping, you know, that they understand, you know, where you're coming from as the author, and maybe they'll feel a little bit better about their situation and their family, you know. And, and is that your goal? I mean, is that your goal with this book? Oh, yes, to help them feel better about themselves. And I have, like, six more and I need to finish up to go with that series on different things and dealing in in my in a sister's world and a kid's world, what they think about and how they view the life. I mean, do you look at your kids and and write these books, you know, based on things maybe they have experienced, or is this just generalities that you see out there, you know, in the uh, you know in the world? Most of it comes from things that they have done or said when they were younger, and it. It filters into the rest of the world. Yeah, that's how pretty much. Gotcha, gotcha. All right, we're going to move on now. Uh, we'll move on to uh, the next book here, which the, the cover seems pretty interesting on this one. Uh, this is uh, DNA, Nothing Would Ever Be the Same. So why don't we talk, chat about this one a little bit? Okay, well, DNA is about a teen girl whose parents have, her, she was like in a real dysfunctional family. For some reason, she couldn't figure out why her mom was so mean to her. And then something happened where the parents went on a trip and with their younger brothers, and she wasn't allowed to go. And while they were gone, um, they got killed. And she was angry, had a party, messed up with a bunch of guys, ended up pregnant, so it goes into um, teen pregnancy, dysfunction, bullying, having to deal with life on your own, and she goes through a, quite a bit of drama. But she she comes through, and it's also oh, let me tell you what made me start writing that book. Now you know Maury po- po- Povich, whatever his name is, right? Oh, Maury Povich, so, of course, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, the basis, when I first wrote the book, it was because of that show. And I was, like, irritated because the way the women are always pictured and the way they act. And so she ends up some part near the end of the book or somewhere in the book um, having to go on one of those shows, and it's called Not Your Baby Daddy, right? Uh-huh. So it, uh-huh. 
she ends up with teen pregnancy. She had messed around with so many different guys. They decided they were going to shame her. But, you know, she turns the tables around on them. And, and it's, I got you. you know, it's a lot of good stuff in that book. Too. That one, is, yeah. to me, has the most reviews and the better reviews than I, the other I see books. that, actually. I see, yeah, you got 21 reviews on this one. And, uh, you know, you have uh, 52 percent, which is five-star, and you have 38 four-star, and you have three, uh, well, you have a three-star, you have uh, 10% three-star, but no two and no one, which is great. That's awesome. You know, that's really <laughs> great. You know, and Next. it talks about a lot of different things, a lot of different topics that people are seeing in this book. Uh, it talks about bullying. Somebody says it here, uh, talks about bullying. Um uh, you know, it's a very good depiction, it seems like, of, uh, you know, that whole Maury Povich show, per se, you know, that, uh, you know, I mean, like, they come on and they, uh, you know, oh, is this is this the baby daddy, you know? <laughs> and this is exactly what happened, you know? And, and, yeah, I could see where that gets uh, a little frustrating at times. I have to shut it off. You know, I mean, uh, you know, and, and that's all he does on that show is, is uh, you know, about that. And I'm like, come on, give me a break. How many families out there are really like this? I mean, is this true? Is this real? I, you know? And there's some out, somebody out there who goes on there and says, I'm not here to, to act a fool. I'm here to just find out something. And, and she does a really good job. And, and her blog that I have for her is more or less like a journal instead of a typical blog and it's a teenage thing in that in her on her blog. And um and one thing I like about the reviews are that they're they're so critical. I like critical reviews. Tell me if I'm doing something wrong and you don't like such and such and you know, that's the kind of reviews I've gotten so far and it's helped me a lot. In writing, you know, I can correct things. I just want you to know, uh, E, I put your link in the uh, in the chat room there so Michelle can take a look at it. Uh, she says her middle children might like some of those uh, children's books that you got going on there. So I put your uh, your link out there, and she's probably taking a look at it right now. So uh, DNA, what made you come up with that uh, cover? That's an interesting cover for DNA. I like that. It is a really cute cover, and it's a, a redone cover because I had a, a another cover, and this one just made me think better for it. And it's like, you know, she's a teenager, and she was always writing in her journal, and so that's what that cover comes from. I like that. Okay, cool. All right, so we'll move forward now. Uh, this one looks like the, the suspense one. Uh the Perfect Solution, A Suspense of Choices. Uh, and you can tell right from the cover uh, that it has to do something with suspense. You want to talk a little bit about that one? Yes, that's the book about the child who, who was mistakenly given to a, a stalker. And, you know, I've worked in daycare as a daycare worker for like 37 years, 37 years. And I've seen a lot of things in the daycare system that needed to be corrected. And so that mentions in the book. And so the perfect solution is the name of the daycare. And it just shows how mistakes can happen and children can be given away to the wrong person, you know, because the 
sub came in there and, and she's new on the job and there's too many children in the room and parents just walk in and get their children and, and she don't know who from where. And this stalker who had been watching the boy so much knew so many things about him down to what jacket he had on. So mm-hmm. the, the point of the story is how they get him back and how the father, who poor guy, who never even knew he was a father, was, ended up being as a suspect for kidnapping. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I like how you did the cover on this one, too. The cover is nice. Uh, it's uh, breaking news, child abducted. I like the way that comes across, but it, there's a house in the background. What significant is that house? Well, the house is really like the daycare center, the child okay. care center. Okay. Okay, cool. All right, so you got cops' cars, it looks like, in the cover, too, and I guess the cops are looking for the child, and I guess that's why you have the cops' cars there, correct? Yes, yes. Ah, awesome, awesome. I, yeah, and I, I, I told, I, I saw right away that this was a suspense book, you know, just by looking at the cover. See, again, the cover tells all, you know, so... Uh, all right, so let's go into the next book here. I believe this is the last book that you have on here. Um, the Woman of the Hill from the series, Yes, Sam Takes Care of Me. Let's chat about that one a little bit. Okay. Well, it's about five women who are friends and they're having a relationship with the same person. And what it basically is is, women who are on the system and how some people think just because you're getting aid and whatever, it's all good and you have it all easy, but it's not a good, and it's not something you want to stay on. But when you have children and you're trying to take care of your children and and a little bit of a job and you need that extra assistance and it shows you how it keeps you tied on, you know, even if you try to get away, it's something you just need help sometimes, and it's about to try to show people that it's not that you're just lazy and you're just sitting on a system. But even if you're going to college, because I had a friend going to college and trying to take care of her children, and and the system was you're going to school too long, but I'm going to college to get a job, you know, to get off your mm-hmm. it just it just tells mm-hmm. you how to work. So and it brings it life stories and, you know, what women are going through with domestic abuse and all that kind of stuff. Oh, I see. There's, like, little stories of each of them in here. Ah, I see. You got Phyllis. Uh, Phyllis Price is one of the characters. You also have Rain Moore, looks like another character. You got, like, a bunch of different characters in this book, and, they, and you tell their stories, correct? Yes, and they're friends ah. who meet every day and, you know. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right, so uh, let's chat about the cover here. I mean, uh, is this a school building uh, in there? Is that what you have on the cover, a school building? It's more or less um, a government building where you go in the and Because when you go, it has a part in there where you go and you apply to to be one of Sam's um, clients, you know. Gotcha. Gotcha. Interesting. I, you know, and all your covers are like, you know, really interesting and really intriguing. Every time I look at one of your covers, I know exactly what's in the book. You know, it, it's like, it, it's like, uh, it draws you in. 
you know, the, the cover draws you in. It just uh, this one seems like it's only an ebook though. You have this only in ebook format? It is. Um the women of the hill, the fishing trip, um when one door closes, they're still ebook. Mm-hmm. Okay. The only ones still ebook. Awesome, awesome. All right, well wow. All this time, and, and we finished all your books, uh, all the books that I saw here anyway, and, uh, you know, we have 10 minutes remaining in the show, so um, this is a perfect time for promo time. Oh, yeah, and promo time is where you tell everybody where they can find you and where they can find your books on the Internet. Okay. So to find my website, you just have to look for Wade-InPublishing, Wade-InPublishing, like com, And from there, you can click on to my publisher or you can click to each blog or whatever the book is. And all the social networks are there. It's like I'm on Facebook at um, eWade2, and I'm the author at gmail.com. Jump out the boat on Twitter. But everything can be found on that wadeinpublishing.com site. You can just click on a picture and find me. Awesome. Hey, it's been it's been another great show with you. I'm telling you, and it's always uh, great to have you on the show. We'll have you on when you got more books out. When, uh, you got any more new books coming out soon? Well, no, not soon. I wanted to have something out by Christmas and. So I'm working on two books, and one book is just called Valerie. It's called Valerie, Living the Hell Out of Life, but it's about women and children named Valerie. So it's more than one story. So far I have um, 20 stories of different Valeries, and all of them have a different thing to say about life or what's happening in their life, from mm-hmm. infants to kids, grown-ups to old ladies, you know, but everybody is named Valerie. Mm-hmm. It's because of the name. Cool. Well, <laughs> it's been awesome having you on once again here, E, and we'd love to have you come on again and chat with us again. Okay, thanks for um, having me today. Oh, yeah, definitely, yeah. anytime. And uh, I'll make sure I get you a copy of the archive of this and you can put it put it on your website with all the rest of them. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right, thank you so much, okay. E. Take care. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye now. Wow, ladies and gentlemen, yes, we are moving forward here, ladies and gentlemen, with this great show. We have one more author coming your way at 7 o'clock. And, of course, we have to thank again Michelle Hughes for being here, you know. And, uh, you know, again, you get to know a lot about these authors. And, yes, she says in our chat room, it's nice getting to know about you because that's where you come to learn about new authors and authors that have been out there for a while, you know. And if you don't know about, you know, authors per se, this is where you got to come because everybody has their own expression. Everybody has their own creativity. Everybody has their own uh, imagination when it comes to writing books, you know. And when it comes down to it, these authors are very busy, you know. And when they get a chance to finally come and listen to a show like this one, yeah, they want to learn about other authors that are out there, you know. I mean, uh, there's just a lot going on, 
you know, I know with Michelle, I mean, she's very busy with a lot of different things. And, you know, I'm not going to ruin her show. She's going to come on and she's going to chat about her books. She loves the idea of coming on my show. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, she loves the idea of coming on the show to talk about her stuff. But when it comes down to it, ladies and gentlemen, we're all busy. We all are busy. We all have things going on. You know, I, I want to write some more books, you know. But for right now, you know, i got to focus. i got to focus, you know. And uh, the focus, the main focus is getting JGF organization up and running, ladies and gentlemen. And today, uh, this morning, actually, 3 a.m. in the morning, we got our final vote on our grant, 250, and uh, we're now up to 255, I think, you know. And we are moving into the next round, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, we are moving into the next round uh, for our grant through Chase. Let's pray that I get it because, boy, there's going to be a lot more coming. There's going to be a lot more coming your way if I get that money. <laughs> if I get that money, I'm telling you, boy, there's a lot of stuff coming. Um, you know, i got a lot of stuff on my mind that I want to get out there to everybody. And that's just the way it is. You know, we've got our next guest coming in shortly. Uh, also, I believe from New York, uh, we're going to have uh, Mindy Haber uh, coming on uh, shortly. I believe this is her uh, that just popped in here. Uh, we'll bring her on in just a moment. But I need to let everybody know about some of the other authors we have coming on the show before we bring uh, Mindy Haber on the air. Remember, she's from the Lyme community, folks, so we're going to be talking a little Lyme disease right now, ladies and gentlemen, so let's get ready with that. Next week, the 22nd, got Brenda, Brenda Zing at 6 to 7 uh, p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, we have 7 to 8, Lauren Payton coming on on the 22nd. Uh, on the 23rd, we have Corrine DeWinter coming on from Spaced Out Radio and from Supernatural Radio. Uh, we have uh, 7 to 8, Belle Whittington coming on on the 23rd, talking about her books. Uh, nothing on the 24th yet. We're booking away. we got people to book away still. And on the 25th, three great shows on the 25th. Uh, we have Leanne Cordes. Uh, she's coming on 2 to 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, Dawn Thorpe-Yerkes, uh, she's coming on at 3 to 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And 7 to 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, Misty Watts coming on. Yeah, I'm telling you. And then, of course, on the 26th, we have the author of the hour, the author of the whole month that sponsored, you know, all of our wonderful shows here, Michelle Hughes. Uh, she'll be highlighted on our Blog Talk Radio main channel, uh, and she'll be on 3 to 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So she'll be talking about her books and everything that she's got going on. Oh, yes, million-dollar book groups and all kinds of great things that she's got going on. So she'll be on chatting about that, you know. And uh, we got a lot of great things going on, but we got mid-behavior. Oh, yeah, our next guest, Mindy Haber, on the line. We're going to bring her on right now, ladies and gentlemen. Here we go. Hello, Mindy. How are you? Hello. 
Hi, how are you? Good. Good, welcome to the show. Yes, I'm very excited to be here today. Awesome, awesome. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, Mindy? Um, well, I am a psychotherapist and, of course, a mother. And, um, you know, that's really what the story is about, more being a mother. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, but it seems like you work with, uh, with the Lyme's disease community. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Uh, do you have Lyme disease? No, I don't have Lyme disease, um, but my daughter um, had and had Lyme disease because at this point in time there's uh, no cure uh, that has been identified um, and there's no test that tells you whether you don't have it at all, just whether you have a recent or current infection. Mm-hmm. And yes, I am involved in the Lyme community worldwide um, on my Facebook page. And so I'm in contact with people uh, pretty much all over the world who have had Lyme or have suffered with Lyme disease for many, many years undiagnosed or have been gotcha. recently diagnosed after being ill for many years. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I actually uh, did a lot of uh, Lyme awareness shows uh, during Lyme Awareness Month in May and I got to meet a lot of the folks that have uh, Lyme disease. Unfortunately, you know, uh, there are 300 strains that I learned about, um, you know, and uh, it's just ongoing. You know, it's an autoimmune disease, you know, just like what I have, RSD, CRPS, and uh, it's just ongoing, you know. And uh, we got your book here, uh, Mindy, and um, it's called Lyme Rage. Uh, and it's a mother's struggle to save her daughter from Lyme's disease. Uh, You want to tell us a little bit about the book, please? Oh, great. Well, um, first of all, uh, I'd like to just uh, say, you know, how I I was able to come up with that title. Um, First of all, um, it's, it's interesting because it was my rage towards the medical community for not at first being able to recognize uh, what she had um, and, you know, how we were treated, which is, you know, a lot of what the story is about. Mm-hmm. And the other part of the rage is uh, my daughter's rage as a result of the bacteria going into her brain. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, she also had these very severe rage outbursts um, as part of the uh, illness, the medical part of the illness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the book um, overall is about my journey as a mother um, with an ill child, having a variety of symptoms and running to the emergency room and um, no one really being able to pinpoint what it is or what it was that was happening to her mm-hmm. um, and what the journey was, the fight for myself to try and figure out what was going on, to get to the doctors that would help her and what that journey is like for a mother who often feels helpless 
when they're trying to help their child. And for most of us, you know, we put a lot of trust and faith in our medical community and our, you know, physicians that they're going to have the answers. And we often don't realize until we come up with some kind of complicated illness that um, there are doctors and many doctors who don't have answers. Mm-hmm. And um, I think also another issue is the collaboration between different doctors and specialists um, dealing with these, what I call or identify as multi-systemic illnesses. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, yeah. These, these diseases also are noted to, I mean, like I, I know because I have one, you know, they're noted to be, you know, killers, you know, they're also noted to be, uh, you know, incurable, you know, they're also noted to be, you know, invisible, and people can't see what's going on in your body, you know, so there is, you know, a lot of stigma behind these autoimmune diseases where, you know, I, I live that every day of my life, you know, I, I know it, you know, and when it comes to something like Lyme disease, you know, um, the, the same thing. I mean, like, it's invisible. I mean, it, you really sometimes can't see the symptoms. You can't see the pain, you know. Uh, and, and when it comes down to it, you know, a lot of these symptoms, you know, take away your, your thought processes, take away your focus, you know, uh, and, and so on mentally, uh, but it also takes away your physical function, you know. So uh, I get, you know, seeing this as a mother, going through this, as a mother and a caregiver, I mean, how did you, how did you get through it? I mean, how how were you getting through this, you know, as, as a caregiver? You know, sometimes I wonder when I look back and I, I, I say to myself, I, I just don't even know sometimes where I got the strength to do it. I think that um, I, I really had to put a lot of things aside even, you know, the rest of my family and tell them that, you know, this is what I now have to do. I I have to take care of my daughter, Sophie, um, because she's the one who needs me the most. Um, So I had to set a lot of boundaries and um, I just became focused on finding answers. I, I just... Um, spent a lot of time researching, talking with other people, attending support groups, finding out what other people's experiences were with Lyme disease, how people got well, mm-hmm. and every which way I turned, someone had a story about Lyme disease. And mm-hmm. each story was very different mm-hmm. than the other. Not everyone had physical symptoms, often um, children and adolescents had behavioral or emotional symptoms uh, from the bacteria crossing the blood-brain barrier so that they could have anxiety or severe depression and really didn't have very many physical symptoms. Mm, Um, There were people who, you know, had a lot of physical symptoms and a lot of fatigue and couldn't do anything. Um, some days they were good and some days they were bad. And I think the complicated part about Lyme disease and many autoimmune disorders that 
those pieces they have in common is that other people have a difficult time understanding their pain, what yep. kind of pain they're going through. As you yep. had mentioned, the pain is invisible. Yeah. yeah. So this is the difficult challenge um, other people find it difficult to understand and cope with the distress that people having Lyme disease and other autoimmune disorders um, with the kind of pain that they experience. Oh, definitely. And, yeah. and not understanding it because there's not only the physical pain, there's the mental pain, the emotional pain, and then there's um, other manifestations that occur from you know being affected neurologically. So my daughter has uh, neurologic Lyme, and uh, she had developed very severe anxiety and horrific nightmares where she was thinking people were out to get her, out to get her parents, these terrifying, you know, at 10 years old, terrifying nightmares, waking up in the middle of the night screaming, screeching and screaming in a way that is even hard to imagine. And it was almost impossible to even think that how was I going to get her well? Could she ever overcome this? Yeah. It was frightening for me, my, you know, her sisters, her, her father. It was a very, very difficult, complicated situation because a lot of what happened was unpredictable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was hard to identify whether it was the fatigue, what was really happening, what whether it was a certain time of the day, you're always trying to figure out, was there some trigger? Was there some reason? And it's so random that that's one of the difficult parts of all of these um, illnesses, particularly Lyme disease and many of the other tick-borne illnesses, is the, you know, just the different types of symptoms each person experiences can vary in terms of degree of pain can vary from what part of the body it it attacks and um, the fact that it's so difficult to determine what you know what is the cause where is it coming from right when is right. the bacteria going to erupt the fact that it hides in a biofilm and can lay dormant and can emerge at any time with unpredictable symptoms. <clears throat> That's right. That's right. Absolutely right. You know, um, you know, being an expert in autoimmune diseases, I, I actually, uh, you know, have done so much research and, 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 you know, collaboration, you know, with the different, you know, diseases that are out there. And, and Lyme, Lyme and lupus seem to be the two most aggressive of the autoimmune diseases. I mean, like, in, in all, all autoimmune diseases, you know, could be aggressive at times. You know, RSD spreads. You know, there's a lot of spreading pain, you know, with a lot of the, you know, other autoimmune diseases as well. Um, you know, but when it comes down to it, Lyme and lupus seem to be the most aggressive in attacking other organs and attacking the brain. You know, unfortunately, you know, a lot of Lyme patients, uh, and you look at some of these uh, stars, you know, the one 
in uh, Beverly Hills housewives, she can't even, uh, you know, think anymore. She's, she's, she has a mind loss, you know. And when it comes down to it, yeah, I mean, there's neurological issues with Lyme disease, but there's also the physical issues that come along with it also. Um, and, you know, in, in my estimation, in my estimation, it's tough to look at it, you know, from a perspective as an individual that don't have it, because, again, it is um, invisible, you don't see it. You really sometimes you don't see the symptoms. Sometimes the people look fine, and you get from other people, "Well, you look great today, but I don't feel fine." You know, live in my body for an hour or two. You know, and and uh, you'll you'll see what I feel, or you, you'll feel what I feel. You know, um, you know that's why I go to a psychotherapist myself. And I wanted to ask you, I guess, some questions from the psychotherapist standpoint. I guess about uh, autoimmune disease too. I mean, do you, as a psychotherapist, a licensed psychotherapist, try to help your daughter through this? Well, um, you know, as mentally, a parent, mentally. As, yeah. as a yeah. as a mother and a parent, um, you know, when your own child is, you know, going through something so difficult, it's hard because you're so emotionally involved yeah. to. You know, I, I don't believe that you can really be your child's therapist as a parent. Did it help me understand things that were happening to her emotionally and mentally? Yes. Did okay. it give me that advantage? Yes, in terms of how I would deal with her, how I would interact or intervene when she was having an outburst or when she was having these nightmares and she was just screaming. Mm-hmm. I mean... It, being a mental health practitioner really helped me know what to do in terms of, you know, holding her and comforting her and trying to bring her out of that place. Mm-hmm. But as you know, and as we all know, it's not just a mental response. There's a physiological response that occurs when you have anxiety. You're, you know... You're triggering your autonomic nervous system. Yeah. So your sympathetic system goes into the fight or flight response. And once your that physiology piece takes off, you can't stop it in midstream. Yeah. Yeah. So there's all of that that comes into play. But I do think as a mental health practitioner, it helped me, you know, have a little bit of an edge in understanding what to do. Based on my background, I've done a lot of work with adolescents and residential treatment. Most of my career has uh-huh. been in residential-type facilities with adolescents and adults um, in, um, you know, in the child welfare system and in substance abuse. So uh-huh. I spent a lot of time with um, kids struggling with a lot of mental health issues and some very serious mental mm-hmm. issues, and I think that experience certainly helped me um, deal with her during those times. It's still very difficult when you're, um, you know, driving in your car and your daughter's in the back seat and you think she's fine one minute and the next minute she's out of control mm-hmm. and you have to find a place to pull over and get mm-hmm. out of the car and get to her. Yeah, yeah. 
Wow. I mean, uh, you know, that can be very uh, tolling on the uh, on the, on the caregiver too. I mean, uh, you're probably exhausted by by the end of the night trying to, you know, help your help your daughter, you know, get through the day. I guess some some of those days are going to be really hard for you. I think it was most difficult because when she was younger, it was so hard for her to verbalize what was happening to her. Mm-hmm. She was unable to express what exactly was occurring inside of her. Mm-hmm. It was so difficult to say, you know, this is happening inside of me, that's happening inside of me. When it was real physical pain, she could say, <clears throat> when she was laying in the hospital, uh, Mommy, it feels like somebody's stabbing my legs. Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. a knife is poking in my legs. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's the kind of thing that she would describe. But mental pain, yeah. fear, terror, it was so difficult to even, I mean, it was more than a year before she was able to even talk about the nightmares and what was happening. They were so terrifying. To even describe them. Yeah. Yeah, that, and that's got to be that's got to be like really hard, you know. When it's more mental, you know, than physical. I mean, like you know, when it comes down to it, I mean, like you know, crazy things could go on in the brain. You know, I mean, there's a lot of things that could go on the brain with with these autoimmune diseases. Trust me, I had nightmares with RSD. I had uh, panic attacks. I I had um, you know anxiety attacks. I I had uh, depression. You know, didn't know where I was going with my life, and now I, I built the show, you know, and I feel so much better, you know, about myself. I could get my voice out there, you know. So when it comes down to it, um, I mean, it's definitely got to be tolling, you know, on you, especially, you know, that, you know, you're, you're the caregiver. I mean, you have other kids, right? And do the other kids help out? Yes, yeah, so I was lucky that my um, two other daughters are older, and so that was a big um, help mm-hmm. uh, that they were able to, um, you know, provide some assistance. But it was yeah. very difficult because, you know, my daughter wanted her mother all the time. She wanted, you know, that's the person she felt the safest with, and that's the person she wanted to help her because um, I was able to tolerate the duress and the kinds of unpredictable behaviors and outbursts than anyone else was able to do in the house. And I think that's something all parents struggle with is how do I cope with my child's distress? Yeah. Yeah. Even as a parent, just Mm -hmm. generally not having an ill child, how many parents, your kid gets upset and okay, let me get you this. Let me buy you this. Let me, you know, people look to pacify their kids or, you know, let them go on the computer and just play video games or, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's difficult to, you know, tolerate when your child's upset about something and, you know, they are in some kind of distress. Something happened to them at school. They come home, they're upset. Something happens between you and them. You as a parent are upset. But when they're ill and you're helpless, you're totally helpless and you can't find answers and the doctors, the professionals don't have the answers, then you're, you know, then it's really difficult. It's really mm-hmm. difficult. But I, I'm a very, I feel that I'm a very positive person because of the work that I do. 
Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm always I'm I'm like the beacon of hope. I'm always yeah. mm-hmm. helping people find a way out, find hope in their lives. Mm-hmm. That they're that they can get through this. That there is a way. And I think, you know, doing that on a daily basis, I always believed that there would be a way out. I, I believed that there were answers. I needed to find them. They were out there. I just had to keep searching, and I knew that, and I just had a very strong belief that they would come to me. And as I describe in the book, I, I believe that some of the things that occurred were what I considered to be miracles. Mm-hmm. That brought well, me to the doctor that helped her. Yeah, I wanted to ask you, what does she do for treatment for her Lyme? How does she treat it, um, you know, I guess the mental portion and the, and the physical portion? Does she go for any treatments? Well, um, she was on antibiotics for three years, not the same antibiotics. That changed throughout her treatment. Um, but she was on the most commonly prescribed for Lyme disease, doxycycline. Okay. For probably a long, the longest period of time. Um, I also did some research, and she took an herbal protocol. Um, there was a lot of talk about um, Japanese knotweed being of help, and there was a person who wrote a book on healing Lyme naturally, Stephen Harris Buner, who uh, identified this. Um, herbal protocol, which I found another practitioner who had made it, and so she had taken that for a long period of time as well. Mm-hmm. Plus, in everything that I I read about um, Lyme disease and your immune system, that you had to do everything to support your immune system to prevent, hopefully, other autoimmune disorders erupting out of having the Lyme disease because Lyme disease disables the first line of defense of the immune system. It it manipulates the immune system. Mm-hmm. And I can't speak, uh, you know, I'm not a scientist, so I really can't speak about the technicalities of, you know, the science behind it, but it does break down your immune system and therefore makes you more vulnerable to other problems and um, autoimmune uh, conditions as well. And so mm-hmm. protecting her immune system became very important as part of the process. And so diet became an issue. Um, other supplements to support her uh, became important. Um, and so I, you know, there were a variety of things that I did, and it's really hard to identify what specifically helped with each problem as she went along because the progress through getting well is not a linear process. It is, you know, up and down, peaks and valleys. Yes. It was just not smooth going, you know, straight up. When you look at a graph, you see that linear progression of progress. It just doesn't go that way. You make some progress and then you have setbacks. You make progress, you have setbacks. Mm -hmm. But all along the course of the illness, she kept getting better. The okay. symptoms would be lessened. So they mm-hmm. either became lessened in intensity or they just became less in frequency. Mm-hmm. So, so so how how is she today? I mean, is she able to function? Um, 
she was affected neurologically in the sense that she has a what's called a cognitive processing delay. Mm-hmm. So that means it takes her a longer time to process information. Mm-hmm. I think luckily she was not affected performance-wise academically so that she's able to understand material. She can process it even though it takes her longer and it didn't really affect her actual performance in school. Oh, that's good. Okay. So I think in that sense she was lucky. Yeah. Um, I think that, um, you know, anxiety uh, really affected her and so she... Uh, I think also suffered from post-traumatic stress disorder as a result of being so ill. I mean, she's someone who woke up one day and couldn't walk and wasn't able to walk for 10 weeks. Wow. So that's a very dramatic dramatic and traumatic event in a 10-year-old's life. Yeah, definitely. Now, would you say she's in remission now? I would say that she, um, you can call it that, that she's in remission. Okay, very good then. That's good. That's awesome. I think the hardest thing was was for her to build her stamina, but Mm -hmm. now she's a person who I just uh, posted some pictures on Facebook a couple of weeks ago. I was in Florida, and she, her cousin took pictures of her, doing these gymnastics, flying in the air, poses, and all these different kinds of uh, gymnastic-like positions. And I got a lot of response on Facebook of people feeling hopeful that, wow, you know, look at her now. Look at her now. You you have to keep it as a constant effort. It's not like I get well and then I stop doing things. I still take care of myself. I have to always consider what am I doing with my life? How right. am I eating? How am I taking care of myself? Right, right. Because these autoimmune diseases are always stay with you, unfortunately. You know, and they unfortunately, you know, in a lot of cases, you know, they, you know, uh, they go in and out, you know, of remission. You know, but hopefully in her case, she stays in remission. You know, and uh, you know when it comes down to it, you know, they're very. Uh, very sensitive, you know, the, these autoimmune diseases. But uh, in her case, God bless. I'm, I'm happy to hear, you know, that she's doing better these days, and uh, that's always a beacon of hope, and that's all, always, uh, you know, a source of inspiration for the rest of the community, um, you know, and so on and so forth. Is this her on the cover of the book? Is that her? Yes, it is. Okay. It is how her old, now. How old is she's, she now. She's how 14. Old is she? Fourteen now. Okay. All right. So that's a picture of her um, taken probably sometime last year in um, September, October. Okay. All right. Well, see, I'm happy to hear that she's doing a lot better. I mean, uh, and, uh, you know, obviously the book is about her journey. You know, it's about the journey of not only her, but, you know, you, Mindy. You know, it's the journey of you, you know, also because, uh you know, you're the, you were the caregiver, you know, at that point, you know, so it's a, a journey of, of, the, uh, of the both of them, you know, and uh, boy, I mean, that's got to be tough. I mean, that's got to be hard as, as a mother going through, you know, seeing your daughter going through those changes and so on and so forth and then having to comfort her, 
And then, uh, you know, going through those days, they must have been, you know, some of those days must have been tough, you know, when she was going through those nightmares and I guess waking up in the middle of the night and, you know, dealing with the nightmares that she was dealing with. And, you know, I know it because I went through it, you know. Uh, you know, so, I mean, uh, yeah, I know all about it. Trust me. I three know years, three years, day in and day out, up all kinds of hours of the night, just endless barrage of, you know, symptoms of pain, of agony, just awful, awfulness. I, you know, just seeing her smile today, she was always a very happy-go-lucky child, always smiling, just full of joy, kind. Before she got sick, I remember her teacher in, in elementary school, I believe third grade, talking about her in a way that she's always helping other students. She's such a kind child. She's always looking for the person who needs help and wanting to help them do better in school. And just a happy person. And, I mean, this just took everything out of her, took everything away from her. I remember when she was in fifth grade, all her teacher, all, all her teacher talked about was, I'm just hoping one day that I'll see her smile. Just one day will, will happen and I'll see her, see her face turn yeah. into a smile. Yeah. I mean, she didn't have any uh, problem. Did she have any problems in school with the with the kids, the other kids, because of her delay? Okay. <laughs> yes, she did. It's interesting that you asked that question. Um, you know, the doctor believed it was very important that she keep her routine as much as possible because there was a period of time that she was homeschooled, um, which was relatively short. And when we got the additional bus to take her, you know, in the wheelchair to school, at first she would come home and say and talk about how, you know, all of the kids would try to help her and, you know, say, what can I do for you? What can I get you? But even though she was still ill and she started to walk, when she got to that point where she was able to walk and, you know, was still in school, everything changed. So the kids mm -hmm. began to see her, well, she can walk, so she must be okay. Mm -hmm. And so they didn't really treat her, you know, with with the tender, loving care they did when she was in an actual wheelchair. And this is the important point about illness being invisible. When it's really something physical where you're in a wheelchair, people are going to treat you one way. When they can't see the, the pain they're going to treat you another way. And so yeah. she really felt, and I talk about it at some point in the book, she really felt that kind of change and couldn't understand what was happening. Why were people treating me differently? Didn't they know that I'm, I'm still in pain, that I'm not well? Mm -hmm. Don't they understand that? Mm -hmm. So as a psychotherapist, per se, I mean, like, you know, when, when you see, you know, your child you know, being bullied like that, I mean, do you just want to, like, you know, go up to school and start talking to some of these kids and letting them know, you know, hey, you know, my daughter is still sick, you know, treat her right, you know, I mean, like, you know, I mean, like, in that respect, I mean, like, you know, as a psychotherapist, I mean, you obviously talk to 
children that were bullied, you know, as a psychotherapist, most likely. You know, I, I, I was bullied when I was younger, you know, so I, I talked to my therapist about that. You know, I mean, I, I talk about my therapist about everything, you know, but when it comes down to it, I mean, what do you do when it's your daughter and you're a psychotherapist? What do you do? Well, uh, I, you know, I like to think of myself as a very strong advocate um, with people that I'm trying to help and certainly my own family. And so um, I had meetings with the school principal, the school psychologist, the teacher, all together in group, and we talked about all of these issues, and we found ways to let her, you know, if she, she needed to leave and go see somebody, she had some kind of respite that she could leave the classroom and get some assistance. If she needed someone, you know, the teacher felt she needed someone to accompany her to that particular office, that was in place. So we set up, we set up little systems to help her get through the day, to help her deal with situations or situations that were too difficult for her to deal with, that there was always someone to go to, to talk to, or someplace she can go where she was able to get some respite so that she can process all of this. And when you have a cognitive processing delay issue, mm-hmm. it is more difficult for you to process information quick enough to have a response mm-hmm. that's, you know, a relatively calm response. So if you can't process information quickly when you're feeling it emotionally, you're going to have a much stronger reaction. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, I mean, during this period of time, did the teachers or the principal say anything to the kids to make them understand about the condition? Yes, I think that they did, but there was so, even at that time, there was less information discussed about Lyme disease that it was so, it's so hard to explain something that's invisible, something that even the doctors don't are, are unable to decipher. Yep, so, yes, were the children spoken to, but when she was in class and she needed to lay her head down because she was so tired, they she would come home and say, they kept asking me, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? Are you okay? Are you okay, Sophie? What's wrong with you? And she just needed to rest, so she was unable to respond. And yeah. so these were the difficult challenges that the teacher had to assist with because how do you, you know, for kids at that age, they're looking for some type of physical injury. If you fall and you get a cut, they can see it. But mm-hmm. if you're just putting your head down because you're tired, you don't feel good, they're not understanding what that means. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They're not so, understanding the fatigue of Lyme disease, what people yeah. or, or any of these other autoimmune disorders that you just can't get out of bed. Mm-hmm. I know it. it even me. in even in our family, yeah. sometimes the people in our household couldn't understand why can't she get up and go to school. So I I was the advocate in my own house. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Well, she I mean, just, like she can't. Yeah, I mean, if, I wish there was, you know, and and uh, I wish there was just more information out there to stop the ignorance. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, it's the, you'll always have ignorance, but at least people, you know, would, would uh, sort of understand, you know, what's going on. You know, we need more awareness, and that's what these awareness 
months are all about is trying to get more awareness out there for these autoimmune diseases. And uh, Lyme was actually last month, and we actually had a lot of shows on our uh, on our uh, sister network, which is our uh, the uh, Blog Talk Radio network, uh, and we highlighted Lyme experiences. You know, and we. Uh, you know, ask people to talk about, you know, how they got Lyme disease, about their Lyme experience, and so on and so forth. So I don't think we uh, went into how your daughter actually got Lyme disease. How did she actually get it? Well, um, I live in the Hudson Valley and um, in Dutchess County, New York, um, which is uh, pretty much the one of the epicenters of Lyme disease. And, uh, you know, I live in a wooded area, and there were two tick bites that she had, one a year and a half before she got ill, and another one six months before she started getting very sick. Mm -hmm. And so there were two tick bites that I know of. Mm -hmm. I took the ticks off of her. I went to the pediatrician right away, and he said, don't worry about it. Mm -hmm. And so at that time, I didn't know enough about Lyme disease, and I'm trusting my doctor, my physician, my pediatrician, just telling me, don't worry about it. Not, yeah. you know, this this is what you need to look for. These are the symptoms. These are the problems. And, um, of course, when she got sick, I had to backtrack and talk about the tick bites. But even saying she had a tick bite, well, that doesn't mean anything. <laughs> the The attitude of yeah. what people would say was so varied and different. Yeah. Um, I think that was um, really a very challenging situation. But knowing that she had a tick bite, I always believed from the beginning that she had Lyme disease. Um, and mm-hmm. yeah. I don't know what I would have done if I had not known. Because a lot of people don't know that they've had a tick bite. They never get a rash. They can't see the tick. Right. And then all Absolutely. of a sudden, they start getting sick. And I Absolutely. write in the story a couple of situations that I know of, of someone, you know, uh, a family that I worked with. Uh, the mother had come in one day telling me about her daughter who was starting her second year of college. And all of a sudden, she was complaining to her mother that she was having panic attacks. She was just going to class and start having these anxiety attacks. And there were no physical symptoms. So, of course, like the good assessment person I am, I started asking her questions. Where was your daughter this summer? What did she do? Was she yeah. in the woods? Yeah. Oh, yes, she went camping with her friends. And she starts giving me all this information. And I have to tell, so I tell her, look, you really need to go have a Lyme test. And she's looking at me like, what do you mean, a Lyme test? I said, just ask your doctor for a Lyme test. Trust me. Just mm-hmm. do that. If you, mm-hmm. if anything, you want to rule that out. Okay. A couple of days later, she calls me back. She says, you won't believe it. I said, what happened? She said, I went to the doctor. I said, please, I know somebody who recommend, recommended that you give her a Lyme test. Came up positive. Wow. The Lyme disease. And all she had was the panic attacks. Wow. Went wow. right on the medication. The panic attacks went away. Wow! Just like that. Wow! Wow! I mean, yeah, I have I mean, another. 
Yeah, you know, it takes years sometimes to recognize the symptoms of any of these autoimmune diseases. But, you know, RSD is a little bit, uh, you know, stronger, uh, usually right on the onset of the accident. Um, You actually feel the pain, you know, so RSD is a little different like that. That's what I have. You know, but with something like Lyme disease, it, it doesn't come up. The symptoms don't come up right away. How long... Uh, did it take from the tick bites to when she actually saw symptoms? Uh, well, I, be- I believe that, um, although I'm not 100% sure, I believe that the first tick bite, which was found in the back of her head, was the one, was the tick bite that infected her. So I believe that she probably, when undiagnosed, or had Lyme in her body for about a year and a half before she, um, about a year and a half before she was even diagnosed as yeah. having Lyme disease, and they had to rule out other, um, you know, other things as well. Um, but you know, there was a another story that I write about of another younger child who, someone who I had worked with in the past. Um, had a family member whose son was having these all of a sudden angry behavioral outbursts. Mm -hmm. And she was saying, you know, I don't know what's wrong with him. He's having... So she had known about my story, told her about the story. Also, went to the doctor, said, okay, let's test him for Lyme. No physical symptoms, just this change in behavior, behavioral outbursts and a young child about four or five years old came up positive for Lyme disease, got right on medication, and and resolved it because it was taken care of early on. And, of course, the best treatment is early treatment. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, so as a psychotherapist, have you ever dealt with, I guess, clients that come in, per se, or patients that come in with, autoimmune diseases, and you know about it, and you talk to them about it? I mean, have you ever dealt with other autoimmune disease patients? Yes, I have. Mm-hmm. Yes, I have dealt with other people, other people with other autoimmune disorders, um, such as lupus, fibromyalgia, um, and and some other people with undiagnosed um, conditions that may be related to um, autoimmunity that have yet to be identified. Mm-hmm. And so I am a very strong advocate in helping people try to navigate the medical system mm-hmm. to get their physicians to work together and collaborate with their information mm-hmm. to encourage them if you're not satisfied with an answer here, you move on to the next person and look for an answer elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, there is tremendous amount of uh, pain, not only physically, but emotionally and mentally because their spouses and other people in their lives do not understand. These are people that have been suffering for, I'm talking about 10, 20 years of their life. And they've struggled because the people around them just don't understand what it is that they're going through. Mm-hmm. That's the toughest part of an autoimmune disease is uh, 
dealing with family members, you know, closest people to you that don't understand, you know, the disease and don't take the time to research. I mean, those who took the time to research in my uh, condition, um, you know, they knew. But others are like, why are you walking around with a cane? What are you doing? You know, you, should, you look fine. You should go back to work. I mean, you try to go back to work with the pain that I endured with RSD, and I won't be able to think straight, okay? And, and when it comes down to these autoimmune diseases, you know, it's really tough because, again, it, it's an invisible disease. It's an invisible disorder. It's rare disorders. I mean, like, the Lyme has been out there for the longest time, but still nobody knows about it, just like MS and fibro. And we've heard about these diseases, but still doctors don't understand it, you know? And, and uh, you know, and, uh, what about the rare ones? If they don't know about the ones that are, that are out there, uh, what about the rare ones? You know, I mean, there's so many rare autoimmune diseases out there, too, that if they don't know about Lyme and RSD and, and fibro and the ones that are out there in your face already, how are they going to know about the ones that are rare, you know? And, and people will never know what they have, you know? And that's why I say, you know, doctors should go through continuing education. I feel they should go through continuing education for uh, autoimmune diseases because they only get two weeks of autoimmune disease research when they're in school. When they go through the eight years of school, I heard they only get two months, two months, uh, two weeks, sorry, two weeks of uh, coverage on autoimmune diseases. I mean, is that something we could fight for? What do you think? Is that something I, we can fight for? I agree with you. I think yeah. uh, physicians have to be educated. They have to want to, you know, do the best job they can for their patients. But we also have to understand that we live in a society where there's a lot of political forces that play a part. Mm-hmm. And what gets attention, and so, yeah. uh, but there, but there is the Lyme conference, and I have been to the Lyme conference, and there's physicians there that I have met from all over the world, because mm-hmm. there are parts of the world that do not even recognize Lyme disease, and these physicians want to know, they want to help their patients, they want to help their patients get better. They care, and they're traveling across the world to go for these trainings to learn about what are the treatments that are working to help their patients. And that brings me to part of the reason why I wrote the book, yeah. which mm-hmm. I started writing about six months into my daughter's illness. I didn't mm-hmm. think about it as a book at the time. I just thought that this was something I wanted to record. I didn't know what it was going to come to. And, the, and so the purpose is to not only uh, tell the story, but to educate people a lot about what's not talked about, which is the neuropsychiatric symptoms of Lyme disease and the neuropsychiatric symptoms that occur from a bacteria entering your brain. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I mean, if she was bit, on her head, most likely that was the bite that gave her the, you know, the neurological 
you know, Lyme disease. If, if right. that, you know, and unfortunately, that's where she was bit, you know, and it was like right up there, you know, next to the, the brain. So it, it probably affected the brain more than it affected the rest of her body because, you know, she was bit on the head. Um, but uh, unbelievable. I have to say, you know, uh, you know, these ticks, I'm telling you, they're all over the place, you know, uh, in summertime and even in the springtime. So everybody, you got to watch out, you know, for these ticks and for these other biting insects, you know, because mosquitoes and, and other, uh, you know, bugs to give it to you, you know, and you just got to watch out. You just got to watch out when it comes to, you know, ticks and, and mosquitoes and so on and so forth, you know, uh, yes. things that can give you Lyme disease. Um, you have to do your, you know, you have to check your body if you go hiking and, you know, you go into the woods. Here I just spoke to someone the other day who said they were, you know, playing basketball with their son and they were sitting on like a brick concrete, you know, um, ledge and, you know, beyond that was, you know, a grassy area. And he said, I was looking at my leg and I saw a tick and I picked that tick off and then I got home, and I found two more ticks on me. Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow. Unbelievable. You know, it's like they, they're all over the place, you know. you got to be vigilant, you know. Uh, if you yep. go into high, high grassy areas, make sure you wear pants, you know. I mean, uh, I know it's hot, but you got to wear pants if you go into high grassy areas. You don't want ticks that way. you also got to watch out when you go to, uh, you know, next to... Uh, uh, standing water, because mosquitoes are all around standing water, you know, so you've got to watch out for that, too. But when it comes down to it, I mean, my last question for you is, uh, I know in my situation, I deal with workers' comp, and, and I know there's a lot of other insurance companies out there also. When it comes to psychotherapy, they really don't pay much, Um you know, and they really don't cover much when it comes to psychotherapy. And my last question to you is, I mean, when it comes to a team of doctors, I mean, do you feel an autoimmune patient should have a psychotherapist or a psychiatrist as a part of that team? Absolutely. Without a doubt. Without mm-hmm. a doubt. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, you have to, you, yeah. you have to, even in my practice, although I am not a medical practitioner, I'm a mental health practitioner, I talk to people in a holistic manner. You have to look at everything. You have to have a good physical. You have to have good blood work. You have to, you know, look at your whole body, not just a piece of it. And books that I read on people who have gotten themselves well, have gotten themselves well because they took that whole person approach. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm doing. That's, I, you know, because I got my psychotherapist, I got my other doctors, I got a psychiatrist on my team. You know, I built my team. I said I need this on my team. But here's the thing, you know, here's the thing, you know, is that how do you get around the insurance company aspect? <laughs> you know, I mean, like, that's the thing. If, like, workers' comp just stops paying, you know, for it, then you lose your mental doctor and it's like, oh, no, you know, I need this, you know. So then you have to go to court and get it court-ordered that they have to pay for mental therapy. So it's great and all great that 
you know, we build a team, but how do you keep that team together, you know, with, you know, the insurance companies, you know, not paying for certain things or only paying for certain things like maybe like once or twice a week when you need it three times a week. You know, what do you think about that? I mean, how do you feel about that? I think that we have allowed, um, you know, a sector to take over the care without us having enough of a say in it. Yeah, so, I agree with um, you. I agree. Yeah. I think that, you know, doctors should be able to listen to their patients. Um, all medical and mental health practitioners should be able to listen to their patients and clients and be able to be the experts in what their care should be, mm-hmm. whether it's individually or collaboratively, and not these corporate entities that kind of take people's care and slice it up into a day, a week, a month, 10 sessions, 20 sessions, 40 sessions, five sessions, and so on. Yeah, yeah. I hear you on that because it gets really frustrating, you know, especially with workers' comp that I'm dealing with because they got injured at work, you know. So uh, they put me actually just the other day, actually just yesterday, I had to go to an independent medical examination for, for my mental therapy, you know, and I could almost bet that they're trying to take away, you know, my mental therapy based on that. And that I don't have coverage to see my therapist. You don't take my coverage, so I'm pretty much dead in the water, you know, if workers' comp basically stops paying for my mental therapy. So I would have to pay out of pocket or I would just have to stop seeing them, you know, and uh, it's just crazy, you know. You know, to me, I need both. I need physical and mental, you know, as part of my team. You know, it's really hard when one of those things is taken away from me. I mean, PT was already taken away from me, and PT would help me immensely with my RFD. Right. It would help me get my foot going again, help me get my toes going again, and so on on, on my left side. It's just unfair. You know, it's unfair, Mindy, that we have to go through this. It should be up to the patient and the doctor. It shouldn't be up to a, a, an insurance company that's in, uh, you know, Illinois or in Minnesota you know, telling me that I, I have to not see a, 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 a physical doctor or go to, a, you know, go to a psychotherapist, you know, but that's so unfortunate. You're definitely, you're definitely correct on that note. I think that in a small way, if we want to make progress, and since progress is incremental, we need to fight for the insurance companies all having out-of-network benefits in a reasonable way so that if we need to go to a certain practitioner, that the insurance company will pay, not only for their providers, but for other providers as well. We need to also advocate for other medical practitioners that may not be considered mainstream practitioners to participate in the plans. I think we need to be able to choose our treatment and what works best for us. I don't think that should be dictated to us. I totally agree, especially in the workers' comp system, which needs to be overhauled uh, (laughs) dearly, (laughs) you know. Um, But uh, especially in New York, being here in New York, you probably, I don't know if you deal with workers' comp 
uh, insurance companies, but they're they're uh, they're unbelievable. You know, I don't know if you have that as like uh, you know one of the things that you take at, at, in your practice, but you know, in, in dealing with them, I mean, I lost my psychotherapy uh, three or four times, and and two of those three or four times, the doctor actually continued seeing me without pay, and I felt bad, and I was like. I, you know, I really felt bad. I wanted to give him something. You know, I, I felt bad that he was seeing me and not getting paid. You know, but then we finally went to court and he got all of that money, you know, paid back to him. You know, but um, he had to wait a while. He had to wait like a year or a year and a half before he got paid, you know, from, from me, you know. And I was like, man, I wish I could give you something. I live on SSD and I feel bad. You know, I mean, like, you know, I wish I could give you a little something, you know, anything. And he said, no, no, don't worry about it. I'll do it. I'll do it. And then the last two times, he just, he, he dropped me for like, you know, a whole year one time. And I was like, oh, I need this, you know. What am I going to do? You know, I mean, after a while, it gets old, you know, with workers' top And they and then they, they just drop you because, you know, they don't want to keep seeing you for free. You know, so it, it's... Uh, it's it's tough going, you know. It's really tough going. Very you know? tough. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Do you deal with the workers' comp system up there or no? <clears throat> um, I don't do not deal with a lot of that. Um, it's a rare case that comes across for me um, dealing with that population. Um, but I have had a couple of cases that I did work on on disability where um, I had to also provide a report to help someone get on disability because of all of their medical issues. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that itself is a challenge. Oh, that certainly is a challenge. Oh, yes, it is. Uh, And that's a whole other story in itself. But unfortunately, (laughs) we're running out of time here. Uh, But I would love to get you know, into this further with you and love to have you back and talk more about this because we really had a great conversation, you know, on this show. Yeah. You know, not only about the book, which I want you to promo right now, but, uh, you know, just about things in general and, and medical and insurance stuff. So thank you for being here. Much appreciated. I'm very grateful, and I appreciate you inviting me on the show. So let's promo your book now. This is uh, promo time. Uh, please let everybody know where they can find your book and where they can find you on the Internet. Oh, um, my uh, book, it's very easy to get on uh, Amazon.com or Barnes & Noble. Um, I believe it's, you know, it's in paperback and also ebook. Um, I do have a website, MindyHaber.com or you can do LimeRageBook.com, and um, there are some testimonials on there. There's information, more information about Lyme disease, uh, different articles, things of that sort. I'm always still searching for answers, even though my daughter's doing well. Um, I still search for answers, and I still try to find information, what is helping people, and I try to get that information out there. I've talked with people in different parts of the country. I'm part of a group on the West Coast that does Lyme coaching Mm -hmm. um, on a website there. Um, And so I'm reaching out wherever I can to help people. Anybody who tries to contact me, I will talk to them on the phone and try to be as helpful and 
give them as much information as I possibly can. And that's for free. Okay. My time helping people. That's awesome. That's very selfless of you, and, and God bless you for that. Um, and, and so on and so forth. You know, people need to be more selfless in this world, and, and that's just, you know, uh, really selfless of you to help other autoimmune disease patients. Or You're doing a great patients. show. You're doing Thank a great you. show and a, and a great service by providing this authentic service. Thank you. And Getting authors out there that have some really good information. I've listened to other shows that you have, and um, you're really doing a great job. Thank you. Thank you very much. Keep it going. And yeah, I, I, love, you know, I love doing the, the Authors Nook shows, trust me. And, uh, you know, when it comes down to it, you know, I love to learn. Uh, you know, I'm like an open book, and uh, I love to uh, retain a lot of information. And, boy, did I retain a lot of information today. Um, and, uh, Mindy, uh, we'd love to have you uh, back again on our main channel to actually maybe talk a little bit more on uh, – you know, psychotherapy per se, you know, and, and uh, you I'd know, love actually, to come back again. Yeah, and get, get into more of the psychotherapy of autoimmune diseases. That would be great. Yeah. Yeah. Terrific. All right. So thank you, Mindy. Much appreciated. We'll see you next time. Okay. Take care. And this is Joey Gagel signing off for another great show here, ladies and gentlemen. Really exciting stuff as we move forward with this great show. Uh, and uh, we're moving forward at the speed of light, uh, and uh, we're trying our best here, ladies and gentlemen, uh, to bring you some of the best authors out there, um, and uh, I'm telling you, we just brought to you uh, some really great information on Lyme's disease and other uh, autoimmune diseases uh, just by talking about her book, Lyme, uh, you know, Lyme Rage. So really exciting stuff, ladies and gentlemen, as we move forward. And uh, God bless you all. Thank you for listening. This is Joe Yego signing off for another great show of The Author's Note. And we'll see you next time right here. That would be tomorrow. Yes, tomorrow. We have two other authors coming on tomorrow. Uh, we got our Hong Kong show tomorrow, uh, 1 to 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And we have our resident um, author that always comes on the show. This is her fourth time on the show. Rashonda Simone, ladies and gentlemen, coming on 6 to 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. She's a mainstay here. She loves to come here. It's awesome. And this is Joey Gingles signing off for another great show. We'll see you next time. Enjoy the rest of your day. Take care. Bye-bye. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.